0: Hey everybody and welcome to Simply Social. It's episode 136. My name is Kevin Shively and I'm sitting alongside Lucy Hitz, our content marketing manager, and we're joined today by Jeff Barrett. Hello, Internet.
1: Hi, Hi, Jeff.
0: Hi, how you guys doing? Not Um, too bad. Jeff is
1: the CEO of Status Creative. Um, He has been... Named by Business Insider, um, their number one ad executive on Twitter, he's a Forbes Top 50 social media influencer, a PR Newswire Ernie Award winner for best use of video and social media, a 2015 Shorty Award nominee,
2: the list and goes
1: on, we're very Ooh, thrilled nice. to have him here. It's a serious oh. resume,
0: Jeff.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Shorty Award was uh, was really awesome. I. I, I hope people didn't get exhausted. <laughs> like, that's, always the, that's always the uncomfortable part about intros. It's like, it's like, I don't mind hearing all those things, but even, even at some point, I'm like, oh, man, even my mom would probably be like, no, nah, that's enough. All right, tone it, tone it <laughs> down, guys. It. But yes, people, people, people know I'm credible, uh, hopefully fun, and let's have a good time. Awesome.
0: Well, we're, we're really excited to have you uh, talk about some of the hot stuff going on in social right now. I just want to
1: it's say that hot. my favorite thing about Jeff Barrett's professional presence on the internet is that his LinkedIn summary has a quote from Taken
2: where he uses
0: the movie Taken. I, have,
2: nice. I have a very particular set of skills. I think everybody needs to know <laughs> I probably need it's to important. change That's very applicable on LinkedIn too. Yeah. Right. Well, and the thing is is that you don't see humor very often on LinkedIn, so I kind of tried to hide it in there. Um, oh, you know, yeah. a little bit. Because it, it's just refreshing. I kind of use humor a lot to, to differentiate, but I might have to rethink the Taken um, reference because Taken 3 was so bad that I might have to like redo <laughs> that.
1: Oh, but so <laughs> bad it's good.
2: Mm. Mm, that's true. I don't know. Or just... I don't know. It's, pretty bad. Bad. <laughs> it, it might, it's not as bad as the first episode of Fuller House. Oh, God, bad. so awful. We tried to watch yeah. it. Couldn't happen. No, this is my this is my goal. I try and derail podcasts all the time, so reel me back in. Perfect. Well, let's talk about LinkedIn marketing then, because
0: i no, I I do think though <laughs> that using humor on LinkedIn is very underutilized. I, my bio's in. Funny to see something that fresh on on LinkedIn. I don't even think it's that funny, but it's, it's not that funny. No, it's not. not Sorry. Fun. All right, let's let's move back into the news then. Back
1: to back to Jeff. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, so what's going on in the world of social media this week, Luce?
1: So the Oscars happened, and I feel like every year with every awards show that passes, um, second screen marketing is just more and more important. So I kind of just pulled together some of the biggest Oscars moments um, and social. Obviously, this was a big year because... The Academy came under a lot of heat for their lack of black nominees, and so Chris Rock's hosting was a very um, much anticipated hosting, maybe the most anticipated hosting of all time. So, overall, just some high level stats some 24 million Facebook users were responsible for 67 million interactions, as we're calling them these days posts, likes, and comments. <laughs> um, DiCaprio generated the most buzz of the night both on Facebook and on Twitter, with more than 440,000 tweets per minute, beating <laughs> the record set by the famed Ellen Selfie from 2014. Mm. This is
0: nuts. Yeah, that's, that's a ton of volume. i I got to be honest, though. I think half of that had to be people saying, okay, just give it to him so we can move on. Yeah, It, it kind of became a boring
2: narrative in my mind. Yeah. Or, hey, I just watched the show for three hours. Will you please give him the award so you I can, can go to <laughs> sleep?
0: Exactly. Walking Dead starts in ten minutes, and I
2: don't have a ton of time left. <laughs> Do you see that? Uh, did you see that Walking Dead um, viewership numbers have kind of declined recently? Really? No, I hadn't. Yeah. Uh, it, I mean, not. It's still a lot of viewers, but it's, I think it's become the fact that it's like, how many times can you go for supplies and then run into zombies and then right. you know subsequent chaos ensues. Yeah. yeah something
0: terrible happens. There's zombies, and then other people are trying to kill us, and yeah. rinse and repeat.
2: But still good. Yeah, I still yeah. watch it.
1: No, yeah. well, I I just feel like on that show, as soon as you get attached to a character, they get their mm-hmm. throat clawed out.
2: Yeah, yeah, much. that's why I, I never want to like anybody on Game of Thrones. Oh yeah, yeah. you can't. Yeah, I know. I know they'll just break my heart. Yep. So um, yeah. That the interesting thing too with the, the DiCaprio thing is that um, especially on Twitter, the introduction of GIF search, so that you could quickly get a GIF out. Um, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. There were a lot of good GIFs. I think that amplified what people were doing on twitter. Yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. Well, and he's become over the last couple of years in regards to the Oscars as well a meme within himself. So, there's mm-hmm. there's all sorts of stuff on twitter that uh already applied to this even before ten, uh, Sunday night. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, if you had to guess, what would you think would be the second most top Oscar moment on Facebook?
0: This was it the Stacey Dash thing that was so weird? It was so awful. It was so uncomfortable.
2: <laughs> oh, but in the best uh, way.
1: She felt uncomfortable. He felt uncomfortable. We felt uncomfortable.
2: <laughs> yeah. Was was that number two? If not, I'm gonna try and guess.
1: Uh, it was not number two.
2: Mm. I mean, I I think it's just the it's either the entirety of Chris Rock's speech, or um, Lady Gaga. Mm. Okay, Lady Gaga was 3. Ah, she okay. was
1: spotlight winning best picture. Oh, oh okay. okay.
2: I could see that because everybody's like, I got to get my wrap-up tweet in there. I've been seeing yeah. this for <laughs> 4 hours. I've got to make <laughs> I got to make sure people know that I'm still awake and I'm still <laughs> focusing on this because I don't want to be that person that fell asleep and didn't know mm-hmm. FOMO. Gotcha. Well, the other thing. <laughs>
1: I think too is that it was very surprising because the spotlight had been anticipated to win a lot of stuff and hadn't won anything, and so I think by the time you get yeah. to Best Picture and they haven't won anything, mm. you're kind of like, oh, it's. You kind of forget about him, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I forgot. Yeah. I forgot how mad I got about uh, Stallone not winning, and how I I had a tweet where I was like, I had this perfectly good Stallone gif ready to go, <laughs> and then you don't give him the award, and then somebody's like. Well, you know, what about Mark Rylance? I'm like, does Mark Rylance have a gif out? No, he doesn't. Probably not. <laughs> tell, tell, you, tell you get your gif game strong. I don't know what to do.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, until Spotlight has a guy strapped to the front of a truck driving through the desert playing the electric guitar, you know, it's mm-hmm. not going to be as interesting on social. But I am surprised that a lot of people <laughs> talked about it.
2: Yeah, important topic, and I can see why it, it, it won and why the Oscars liked it. And... Um, I wish we went back to having five nominees instead of eight or 18 nominees for Best Picture because it, I, it gets so cluttered that I forget, like, which movies aren't.
0: Yeah, it does. Well, and in introducing them throughout the show all night, you kind of forget who they introduced at the beginning of the show as well. Right. Uh,
1: so also happening on the Oscars, Snapchat debuted their Oscars live story on their, on their web app, which is the first time they've ever let you see snaps outside the app. Mm-hmm. um and this has been kind of a big question will they ever do this um, and they did it pretty quietly mm-hmm. uh, you know so when you go to snapchat.com's live page it's pretty similar to opening up a live story in the app you just sit and watch the, and it's, it's curated you know um, it's not just kind of randomized um but I, it's just it's kind of this big big step for them and I wonder if it's sort of a direct competitive thing with Periscope, who also allows you to view certain Mm. streams in their
0: app. Could be. I mean, it's huge for advertisers on the network. If if you're promoting a live story, the
2: fact that people can watch it on their desktop is is key. Yeah,
0: easy
2: easy to track data because it's not Mm -hmm. mobile. That's got to be something or some reason why they're doing it. It's interesting, though, um, because I don't think people are going to, you know, start using their phones less and their computers more. So that's that's the interesting thing. So it's got to be intended for advertisers. Yeah. Um, the majority of people are not going to, to Snapchat, although I saw this hilarious thing, and I hope this is just a joke post and not real, but there are um, selfie sticks for MacBooks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, you know, I want to hope it's a joke too, but I really don't buy it. I le- oh, there's God. probably at least one person. I um. Funny enough, when part of the gift bag at the Shorty Awards is, we got this selfie stick, and I told myself, I'm never gonna buy a selfie stick, I'm never gonna get it. And then you give me one, and then I'm like, okay, well, I gotta do this. So I'm a selfie oh, stick just, guy now. Yeah. Well, I I did it once, and I like instead of you know uh, pacing myself, I just used it all in one hour throughout Central Park. Just found <laughs> as many people as I could, and just started taking selfies with everybody.
0: Nice, nice. Yeah. That's good. Get it out of your system right away. Pretty Feel much. good about it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: One one of the interesting things I think to uh, about the Snapchat thing now that I think about it is that it makes it shareable. So you can share a Snapchat live story by sharing that URL on Twitter, on Facebook, mm-hmm. wherever you want, uh, which is, is only going to increase their numbers and right. um, potentially drive people even on mobile to Snapchat.
2: Yeah. It's kind of amazing how much Snapchat grows even though it's not shareable. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so imagine yeah. what it could
0: do. Right, right. If you can attract new users on other platforms, it's mm-hmm. yeah. If you
1: incredible.
2: can create trending content on Snapchat, yeah,
1: you kind of take away a little of the value prop for the platform in that for way. Sure.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. Um, because I think that's what makes it sort of remarkable is that nothing is shareable on it. And if you want to see, you know, my stuff, you got to look at my story, mm-hmm. or yeah. you have to, or I have to send you a snap. So. Um, I just wonder if that's what people
2: will want to see. Yeah, like, that's what the, people will
1: associate with Snapchat. Yeah, yeah,
2: and that's the rub with social because, in its pure sense, you know, every social network should be kind of one way. But then, you know, these networks have to make money and, you know, make it very apparent to advertisers that they want to make money and all these other things. And then, you know, because I mean, Snapchat used to just be, hey, this place where you create content that disappears. And then it was like, well no, we have these stories, and, and you know, started getting into, into more stuff, so hopefully, yeah, hopefully it doesn't lose the entire intent, but I think you'll see them kind of dipping their toes in this, just like, um, I had an interesting theory that the entire reason Peach was created was to just test new product features outside of, you know, Twitter <laughs> or outside of big places to see if people liked them, and then if they did, they'd incorporate them, as you see with um, GIF search.
0: Mm, mm-hmm, that makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah, I th- you know, I think because
2: people on social love it when you change a platform in any possible way. Everybody just says the nicest things. Yeah. Oh, constantly. Yeah, it's nothing <laughs> but positivity. Oh, for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think we talked about Snapchat last week, and um, we just talked about how when they initially rolled out their advertising products, it was like a hundred thousand dollars minimum buy-in, and they really wanted they were making it very clear they only want those huge huge big dollars mm-hmm. and then just last week they announced anyone can buy a geo filter for five dollars you know so we have but of course they're also getting huge huge advertisers who are giving right. them the big sums they wanted initially so it's yeah, they like really nothing widened. in the middle yeah 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 they really widened their offerings in that way mm-hmm. and I always just think it's crazy because when they were offered what was their initial offer like three billion dollars or something
2: Oh, the Facebook one, and then you had the Alibaba one that was higher. Right, right.
1: And when they were offered that amount of money and they didn't take it, I said, you guys are crazy. Mm. And now I'm like, I don't know how crazy you are.
2: No, and, you know, that bubble... The the bubble is probably a year away from bursting, but I I think we reached the plateau of build something just for the sake of it being out there and having critical mass and then selling it because you've started to see things like, you know, Foursquare CEO is gone now. Um, These things, you know, go away. Um, At one point, you could have said that Foursquare was the most innovative and this is probably six, seven years ago, but you could have said Foursquare was the most innovative thing out there with the critical mass, and everybody was using it. So you have to be careful to sell at the right time. But I think mm-hmm. in Snapchat's case, I think they're intending an IPO this year. Am I wrong? Uh, I believe so. They've they've teased it that a few times. When, if one if of the interesting be, things oh, I
0: just saw about Foursquare, actually, not not to interrupt, but yeah, uh, oh. they are now playing with attribution, so uh, location data for digital platforms. And they're, they're sitting on this huge mountain of data that they're completely shifting their their market here. And they have a huge opportunity to provide advertisers uh, with this geotargeting data uh, and a lot of different ways to get a hold of people based on all of the stuff that they have from everybody who checks in on Foursquare still, apparently. Uh, there's yeah, there's a can... huge amount of volume there.
2: Well and there's still value in Geo. So if you could narrow in um, you know, that you saw this ad and that made you actually walk into the store and they could physically show that, which I've saw stuff in AdWeek and things hinting toward that, mm-hmm. if they can do that, that's incredibly valuable. That's still one thing that we've hoped we'd have, but it's hard to it's hard to technically do that and yep. pinpoint it enough to make it actually matter from a marketer standpoint. Mm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's tough to do. It's expensive, I would imagine, to do that to mm. build that type of technology. So it, it has that chicken and the egg thing where you gotta have right. the adoption if you're gonna be able to afford to build it, but you can't afford to build it if there's no adoption.
2: So. Very true.
1: Yeah, and kind of speaking this a little bit, um, according to Kenshu, they just ran a study, when marketers utilize paid search or social in silos, they miss out on significant benefits. According to this study, when paired with paid search, Facebook advertising delivers a 30% better return on ad spend than the return for just paid search alone. Um, You know, like for me, I just see this as this other step towards... It's an entire digital machine. It's mm-hmm. not just social. I'm doing the social, and I'm doing paid social, and you're doing organic, and oh. you're doing your SEO, and I'm not. It's kind of all part of the same beast, and this is just kind of serves to back up what I already believed. So I had to talk about it. Yeah.
0: You know? <laughs> well, yeah. definitely. Yeah. <laughs> you get that, the, the geo-targeting paired with your web data, paired with your email data, paired with social data, and all of those programs are able to interact so seamlessly at this point. Or getting to that point, I would say.
1: Well, I think they don't interact seamlessly, which is the problem.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They need
0: to.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Jeff, what
2: do you think? Perfect world, that would be great. And that's, I think, what holds us back is being able to, you know, have all this stuff be transferable. Um, but yes, at the end of the day, it'd be nice to say, we ran this ad here, that drove people here, It we got this conversion rate, because the, the problem in, in PR and marketing is there are really no certainties, There are mm-hmm. there's data, and there's um, hypothesis, hypotheses, and there's, you know, we think this will deliver this, but... You know, If we can create stuff that's targeted in that kind of sense, and we can get it out quickly and pivot and change campaigns, because I think we've really gone away now from these large campaigns that take six to eight weeks, even three months to put together, and, and going more toward, hey, let's have quick content that comes out in five minutes, and if it works, great, and if it doesn't, we'll pivot. Yep. Yeah, I was reading
0: something interesting in Ad Age over the weekend about that, how on mobile you can't afford to have long campaigns uh, because you're, you're so focused on, on setting somebody up for success and getting users involved in the storytelling that you're doing right now that right. you, you want to create something quick. If people get involved with it and are interested in it and are you know, downloading your app or visiting your mobile site, then you continue with that narrative and keep that going. Otherwise, yeah, that, the, that pivot needs to happen.
2: Right, and if you think about it from an organic sense, right now, so PR firms are working with social influencers. Um, you know, probably above my level, but you know, some would say I am one. But you know, and I get some of those emails about, you know, do you want to do this for this? Uh, but the the interesting thing is, we're kind of one. We're only working with the top tier of influencers. Uh, David Berkowitz at MRY, I had him on my tweet chat a couple of weeks ago with the Shorty Awards. He had a great point, and I'm already working this space too. Is it's that mid tier of influencer and organic that's super valuable. And mm-hmm. right now, it's a very long process because the brand has to curate and find these people, then they have to negotiate terms and what, what your value really is, and then, okay, here's the content we need to get out there, and you can see how long that process would be, but we're living in a world where advertising and it needs to you know, be by the hour because you might miss out on a trend, you might miss out on you know, a conversation of that moment that you should right. probably apply yourself into. So, one of the things I'm working on is developing a product. Um, here's a top secret uh, breaking news. Um, <laughs> this is the first nice. time I've actually this is uh, this is an exclusive. This is the first time I've actually said this anywhere. But I actually closed um, a week ago on it, so I can mention. I, I am building uh, a kind of a, a product that will facilitate a faster relationship between brand and mid-tier influencer to get more organic content out, much like oh, you oh, would, cool. much like you would with an ad buy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome, yeah. and it's, I I 100% agree. Those those mid tier influencers are they have a much more specific audience than some of the large ones do. Where they're Absolutely. they're big enough that people from all over the world follow them. The the mid tier yeah. ones they're they're very niche and very focused on areas that that brands can take advantage of and can also in most cases afford. You know you can't we can't yeah. all afford Kim Kardashian, but we can afford some of the mid mid tier folks that are specifically
2: targeting our audience. Some of us can't even afford Kimoji. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or don't want to pay for Kimoji. Yeah, that's
0: that's a fine line.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: So is this along the lines of maybe CrowdTap or Influencer, or something like that?
2: Something similar in that vein, but I really want to um, massively cut down on the time that's taken to do that. Mm-hmm. I want to make this as simple as, you know, creating a very quick PayPal... Um, you know, exchange of money, get the thing done, so that if you wanted to feasibly, you could, as a brand, say, okay, we just had this really good piece of content come out, or something's hitting. Um, I'm not going to mention Oreo from the Super Bowl. Oh crap, I just did. <laughs> um, but you know, that kind of sense that if you've got something that's starting to hit, and maybe you want to put, you know, so something starts hitting organically, and maybe you want to put a nice 10, 20, 30k spend into you know, this, then you can do it and you can get something out while you're still trending, while you're still in the moment. That's mm-hmm. the point of it because right now there really isn't an option that can deliver on that or just make it easier because, um, you know, there's some good ones out there but they're designed for, for bloggers or they're designed for other places and, look, by the end of the year, we'll probably be flooded with these things. So at some point, you just get your product out there and you see if it works. But mm-hmm. it, should be, it should be interesting. I can't tell you yet, but okay. you'll, you'll know in June or July. Hopefully awesome. June. Yeah. Look,
0: looking forward to that. Excited to see it. Congrats on, on getting that off the ground. That'll be, that'll be huge. Our a, brand marketing
1: a, manager would love that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Right now yeah, we're in the process of kind of identifying those sorts of influencers, and we actually use our own platform to do some of that, but then yeah. also kind of understanding the larger space, and who exactly, it's like you don't want to hit too low with an influencer. Right. You don't want to set your sights on someone who's unreasonably huge. Yeah, well, and and then that the interaction becomes such a,
0: an arduous process
2: as well. Yeah, Yeah. being able to put in those search terms that say, okay, your reach needs to be at this level. Here's what our price is. And the other, the other big thing is, um, I think one of the features we, we've decided on having is that the price will always remain constant with someone. So this mm-hmm. isn't a negotiation. This is it is what it is, um, you know. And you put it, you know, you put that price in, and you can change that price over time. But it should just be one price. Get it through.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Awesome.
2: That's that's cool. That'll that'll ease that pain quite a bit. Well, and from and from an influencer standpoint, because I've I've seen some of these things, and I've 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 mildly thought about it from you know monetization of, I've got a, a decent you know following on Twitter, but. The problem with it is a lot of them are requests for proposal, and filling out an RFP to maybe get a $30 (laughs) payout on something, in my line of work, just makes no sense. Oh, yeah. Well,
0: and yeah. even from the from the brand side, you you know you think about some of the big uh, retail clients that we work with, who work yeah. with all sorts of you know fashion bloggers or whatever it might be. When you're doing that on a scale of you know thirty, forty influencers on a specific project, that that becomes an arduous process on that side oh too.
2: Oh gosh, yeah. The more influencers you bring into it, the harder it is, and so that's why you only see a couple influencers usually used per campaign for that very reason. So yes, if you take the friction out of having to to talk to influencers. Um, it goes a lot better. But anyway, enough about shameless plugs. Let's get back to the news. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sounds good. What else
2: we got, Lucy? <laughs>
1: um, well, our very own head of attribution here, Brewster Stanislav, was at Social Media Week this week. Um, we talked about dark social, and this actually fits into a lot of the attribution talk mm-hmm. we've been chewing on here, um, and the importance of dark social data uh, one of his quotes from his talk was when people are clicking URLs and sharing URLs within chat apps, they arrive with no referrals, so that's direct traffic driven by social. That's a lot of people driving traffic in a way you're not measuring today. Mm-hmm. Um, statistics mm-hmm. have shown that 70% of social sharing is dark. Um, I think probably more. Think of all the times you've texted yeah. a friend yeah. and sure. said you should
0: really check out these shoes. Well and that's that I actually I think that's a stat that's almost a year old at this point. You think about yeah. the rise of Slack and how much content we share even just within our own company on Slack and everybody is doing that right now. So it's you, you, there's all sorts of uh messaging services within companies yep. within groups of friends uh that that this stuff and even just email. You email a link to somebody there's no attribution there. So being able to track that is huge. Uh yeah. And a shameless plug on our end, that's something that we are working on right now and plan on like having, having out soon. Uh, yeah, being able to tie those right, dollar, yeah. dollar signs directly to a social post is something that, that people are very excited about, I think. And it's awesome. a complicated
1: issue. Um, Reed Armbruster, the director of social and digital communications at Audible, also mm-hmm. spoke with uh, Brewster. He was part of the,
2: I guess, they both were up there. So,
1: panel? Uh,
2: <laughs> yeah. Two or more, two or more, yeah. Sounds well, isn't like two? Isn't like two now called a fireside chat, even when there's not a fire? Right. Yeah. yeah absolutely. We actually had a fireside chat
0: at our conference with two people, no fire. Yeah. Yeah. Just armchairs. <laughs> Very cozy <good>
2: though. <laughs> it was nice. You know? I should have done my research before I skewered fireside chats. <laughs> anyway.
0: Well, I guess we have to change it now. Thanks, Jeff.
2: You're welcome.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, but so back to Reed Armbruster. Okay. Yeah. Um, so he's the head at Audible for digital and social and, you know, kind of they ended the talk with him warning publishers against using messaging apps as platforms because of course that's when you hear that so much of your effort is mm. could be seen as quote unquote going to waste because you're not getting attribution from it and mm-hmm. you're not being able to connect it to those dollar signs. Um, you You might want to say let's get advertising in WhatsApp or like Facebook messaging or whatever and... Reed warns that the reason people share things on dark social is because they're private, safe places where you can share things. Mm-hmm. And when you start advertising, then people go somewhere
2: else where they can be private. Yep. So they will always find... There will always be an internet subculture. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And there should be. It's, it's more interesting that way. I mean, you think about, I, I definitely don't have the Twitter following that you do, Jeff, but even when I publish something on Twitter, I have to think about how it reflects on me, how it reflects on Simply Measured, uh, and right. all of that. Whereas if I'm just sharing a link with some friends via email or Slack or Facebook Messenger or whatever the case exactly. is, it's, it's a much more natural and organic conversation.
2: Yeah, and that's why you see anonymous networks growing, too. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it be Yik Yak or others. Yep. For that yeah. very reason.
0: Yeah. What happened to Elo, by the way, while we are talking about anonymous social networks? Or that was the uh, brand-free social network, I guess.
2: That's funny, because I was just... I, Lucy, I was just finishing up an article for you, uh, and I was briefly looking at Elo while I was looking at Peach, and um, I actually don't remember what... Elo's trying to transition into something else so that it can kind of have a second life, Oh, um, interesting but I, yeah, but it's kind of losing its core core principle it's It's decided, hey, well, you know being this very private thing isn't quite working out, so we might try and make it available to the masses hmm. so um, <laughs> yeah. that's that's a possible thing. Um, there's a lot of anonymous uh networks that are starting to pop up too in the next um probably in the next three six months we'll get some traction. Peach, the interesting thing with Peach is it, it popped up and it was gone in less than a month, but it really did, whether it was the magic words or a gift search, um, it did already create change within some of the bigger social networks, and I think that's the, the entire point, is to just, much like what Google Fiber uh, does, oh, where yeah. they find, yeah, they, they're like, hey, we don't really want to be your internet provider, but if you want to make the internet faster, so we at Google make more money off more internet searches, we'd be fine with that, right. Um right. That's, I think, the same, you know, not the same capitalistic goal, but the same kind of, hey, let's make social more convenient and easier. So, and it, mm-hmm. there's like, there's no coincidence, I think, that, you know, Peach came from one of the co-founders of Vine. It's the same right, people trying yeah. to kind of inter- innovate in a space that we didn't really see a lot of innovation in the last couple of years from social networks. We kind of saw them concentrate on monetization, but we didn't see features really change. Right. And now we're starting to see features drastically change and, and morph into something else as we try and, and, and get interesting things. And, and then, you know, then everybody's kind of figuring out how do we change publishing, which is, you know, Medium has some interesting things they're doing, which is, again, something created by the former founders of, yeah. of Twitter. So it all kind of ties together, but um, it's interesting where that all goes. Yeah, it is well, and it's it's inter it's interesting that
0: we tend to think of social networks as separate from uh, the the rest of the software space, where there you know if you aren't innovating and aren't creating new products and new offerings for you know a year, eighteen months, whatever it is, you're gonna you're gonna fall on your face. And we started to see that in a few places. LinkedIn took a huge hit, uh, and it's it's one of those spaces that has to keep improving and keep staying relevant to its users, or a network's gonna fall apart.
2: Yeah, we. We kind of probably thought a year or two ago that social networks had this economy of scale, much like a Walmart, to the point where it's like, well, you're not going to go anywhere else. Um, (laughs) But I think it is true that you might not give up on these social networks, but you might start posting less. And if you start posting less in an age where we want to make more money, that can be problematic. And you look at an app like, uh, you know, I mean, the two fastest growing ones are Snapchat and Instagram. Because mm-hmm. they're so simple to use, mm-hmm. and that's the, that's the that's the thing. It's like Twitter became a little difficult. It's always been a little nuanced. It's still my favorite, yeah. obviously, but I but I get why people would want to move over to Snapchat or they'd want to do more on Instagram or Viners want to be Snapchatters now because that's where they see the impressions and the views and mm-hmm. the money. So it all yeah, makes sense.
1: I will say that I, I feel that Snapchat is not as intuitive to use as people say it is, like I love Snapchat, it's my number one favorite social platform, and I'm definitely an evangelist for them, everyone who sure. I know who doesn't have it, I try <laughs> to get them to have it, but there's definitely a higher barrier of entry to that network, because when you show yeah. them on Instagram, it's very clear what it is. Literally, image, video, mm. 15 second, boom, there it is, you follow, mm-hmm. they don't have to follow you, that's a differentiating factor on like, mm-hmm. Facebook, where you both be friends, boom, done. But Snapchat... You know, you just swipe, what is that, right to see the stories, and you just swipe that's left true. to see the other stuff, and there's all these layers, it's a very layered yeah. app. Or you're mm-hmm. trying to create
2: a story, and then, you know, then there's nuance of, how do I upload this photo for my gallery? Right, yeah. right. Yeah.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah Which isn't, true. That, isn't exactly easy or intuitive, but completely possible.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. And yeah. fun. Like gamified in a certain way, a little yeah. more frivolous.
0: Well, and that's one of the reasons that keeps the demographic so so young skewing yeah. or skewed younger. Uh, yeah. Both of my grandmas are on Instagram now, and it's because <laughs> it does have that low barrier to entry. They they can't do anything else on their smartphones, but they can use Instagram to check their grandkids' photos. Uh, they, I guarantee, are not on Snapchat because you open that app and there's a blank screen with your camera. You have no idea what to do <laughs> <Right>. with it.
2: <laughs> it's like my dad when he tries to take a photo with my phone and it's three-second video of him going, how do I take a photo? <laughs> <What's happening>? <laughs> <laughs>
1: awesome. Yeah. Nice. Well, Jeff, we want to hear a little more about you and just can you tell us a little about your background and kind of how you got, you got to
2: where you are? Um yeah anything specific or just super broad,
0: super you know, broad early super childhood broad.
2: memories yeah, uh, okay, yeah. you know first fight with your parents that <laughs> your kind of stuff Your worst fear so. Um man <laughs> I actually I don't know what my my worst um heights I don't I don't like <laughs> no, <flying>. I'm kidding <laughs> no no it's this is fine like I'm sitting on the couch right now telling you my hopes fears and dreams <laughs> okay. Um I Heights have always been an issue for me. I don't like flying, which is kind of um, difficult in the fact that I speak a lot of places and need yeah. to go to a lot of places. So eventually you just kind of get over it and watch four episodes of Broad City while you white-knuckle it to the place you have to go. <laughs> yeah. um, I just make so sure that have, I've always... Oh, do you
1: fear of heights like, on a building as well, or just flying? Oh,
2: yeah. Yeah, I, um, I remember I was meeting with um, Comcast last year, and they've got a huge building in Philadelphia, and I was at one of the top two or three floors, and I could feel the building kind of wobble a little bit, and I was trying to talk coherently about social with them, (laughs) and (laughs) at some point, I was just like, I was having like one of those Danny Glover moments from Lethal Weapon where I'm like, I'm too old for this ish. <laughs> um, like, I just, I did not want to do that <laughs> anymore. So it's like, all right, let's wrap this up.
0: So our meeting's um, done, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But no, I um, my background is I've been in, um, I have a degree in advertising. I've been in the space now for 12 years and I, I think about Five or six, I started... I've always been playing around with social because I just kind of lucked into the fact that it was emerging as I was in college. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I had the ability... Well, even high school a little bit, but I uh, had the ability to kind of start when it started and notice some, some changes, evolve make some mistakes. Obviously I, I um before I was a Twitter influencer, I was a MySpace influencer and that uh, was a, a bet that I should not have made. Um <laughs>
0: haven't made that bet. Yeah, I made that bet too. It was, it was... No, that's fine.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I have kind of always been I've always been uh, not as active on Facebook, even though I, I understand it from an advertising standpoint and from a brand standpoint, but for me I um I don't use it as much. So i, I, I gravitate toward an Instagram, although I know that's you know, Facebook Facebook approved, um, but I also, I like Twitter, and I like Snapchat, and I like Vine. Um, I like Vine because of the uh, attachment into Twitter, too. Obviously, if you've right, got a right. large audience, that's going to even make more sense. Um, but I've, I've played around in a space, I think, four or five years ago. Uh, I, I try and adapt. Every, every year, I try and think about you know where the space is going rather than where the space is. So four or five years ago, I was getting into large experiential content. We had some really good success with that, um, you know, which led to a couple of the awards mentioned. Um, but then from there, we started. I started kind of getting into, okay, you know, how does this how does social impact PR? Which is, you mm-hmm. know, in the last five years, I've been running a PR firm, and we've been looking at, you know, how do these organic social influencers two or three years ago, I, even I was working heavily and you know, how do we use these places to drive sales? So, you know, you work with a company and get the right Instagram influencers and you take them from a million dollar company to a $3 million company and you've shown tangible success, which is a little bit outside of the PR model because PR for a long time has been, you know, we, we get you exposure and mm. we, we talk to some people and we don't really have guarantees in that. And I, i I kind of work in the space where um, i I mix between media because I write up for a lot of places, but also I do p r so I kind of understand both ends of it and i I realize that if you just have more guarantees in that space, have the right influencers attached to a brand can you know you're never going to control the message because that's up to everybody on social and you just embrace that but you can create a lot of new media to to tie it in um, <laughs> Sadly enough, uh, Donald Trump has kind of been employing a strategy i 've been using for years, which is you don't need to advertise; you just need to create media moment after media moment <laughs> to get your stuff out there it's more cost effective it's It certainly works um, from a From a purely analytical perspective, I absolutely love his campaign mm-hmm. but uh, my opinion probably sides more on what uh, John Oliver did for 20 min- minutes a couple oh, days ago so and oh, yeah. made him Donald Trump again. So, <laughs> yeah, I that that's going to be a fascinating thing because I think in the next next week, as people realize this is this is real and actually happening, and that we've got you know we're facing seven more months of talking about Trump, that uh, that media conversation will will shift and get a little <laughs> bit more aggressive. But for now. He's done an incredibly good job of uh, taking every punch and turning it into a positive.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, but, it's yeah.
0: definitely terrifying. <laughs> terrifying, it's terrifying, entertaining, <laughs> entertaining <laughs> impressive.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's what keeps me up at night. But but so in my, my my head I've always been thinking about that space and now as, as I have been talking to you I'm thinking more along the okay, how do we leverage these mid-tier influencers? how do we you know create more uh, better quality vr content how do we leverage the internet of things to create really good experiential projects so i'm i'm kind of in all of those spaces but at a core i still work on getting really good exposure for clients in a way that seems like it's not an advertisement it's just organic content because that's mm-hmm. that's that's what sways people People don't yeah. want to see a banner ad anymore. They want their friend to say, Oh, this is really cool. Go check it out. Yep. You know, if I see a if I see a banner ad for Deadpool, I might click on it. But if seventeen of my friends say, Why the hell haven't you seen Deadpool yet? <laughs> I I then go to the movie theater and see Deadpool. It was, it was yep, awesome. exactly. Well Deadpool.
0: and the the relationship between social and PR has always been fascinating to me because it when social first started to emerge, PR kind of dictated how social interacted with uh, any type of marketing and PR, by that kind of thing. And now it seems that's kind of shifted where social is influencing how PR is done. Uh, and yeah. the, the interplay between the two is, is fascinating.
2: Well, and I wrote a few pieces maybe three years ago on, um, on this, this shift because it, it used to be thought of in PR, maybe 20, 2009, 2010, that what you did is you got your message out there and then social media was a supplement to keep the narrative going and to build off of. But my thought has always been, you use social to create critical mass so that the news outlets and TV and conventional media have to cover it. Because if something has generated a a million views, don't you have to cover it on the Today Show or somewhere else Mm -hmm. to some extent, right? So that, I've always thought that social media is the feeder into conventional media and then it obviously just becomes cyclical and keeps... Going back and forth, I um, that's that's been my thought for a long time. And now, what I think is interesting about social, and I I think I wrote something for Cision, pretty recently about this, is that advertising um can't leverage social as well as PR can. In the sense that PR is connecting dots. It's you know leveraging platforms. It's taking, you know, your client and putting them, uh, you know, connecting them with the best possible outlets and places where they need to go. So the curation of organic content and social influencers is more of a PR function than it is an advertising function. So that should benefit PR in the never-ending quest and battle between PR and advertising to pull <laughs> budget.
0: Mm. Yeah. yeah, and what's what's great about that from the the brand side too is that both of those feed into the funnel where you're trying to drive sales. So it yeah. it it's wherever it's best suited is where it should be. So I think there's there's a a big push in a lot of circles right now or over the past couple of years to try to force social to be something maybe isn't best suited for when it is great for these influencer relationships. It is great for this overall branding strategy and driving people into the top of those funnels.
2: Yeah, because I think it's better now instead of, instead of trying to fight this and say that we have to try even harder to control the message, don't control the message. Just have the right influencers getting your message out to people and that will work a lot better. Mm -hmm. Um, Take a look at the 116 billion or $116 million that Jeb Bush spent and how he never got above fourth place. And there are variables in that. You can say, okay, the Bush name might not have played well. You can say that his, him as a candidate might not have played well. But in the history of politics, when you have $116 million to spend, you usually do pretty pretty yeah. well. And that showed a couple of things. It showed that your, your TV commercial, especially in politics, not that effective. Um, yeah. you know, And I think it, that's especially... Uh, certain with politics because we've just become so tired of the did you know that in 2014 (laughs) it's like Donald Trump went to a Mets game and wore a Yankees hat
1: (laughs) I think also none of these none of the Republican candidates Donald Trump is the only Republican candidate who's been able to do anything with social at all really
2: yeah, mm-hmm. well, and he's got this, Um, you know, I mean, he's got a built-in platform, so all of them would have to catch up to him, right?
1: Right. Yeah. Um,
2: although, I'm never concerned with who has the most followers in social because it really, at the end of the day, is, okay, if you have 13 people that can combine to create more followers than him, if you p- put the right groups together, you can surpass any individual. Um, That's important in, in getting your content out. That's why when I try and distribute out content, I'm not... Um, I'm not concerned with the size of any one individual. I'm just cons- concerned with the, the total of the group. But, so, I mean, if Marco Rubio or Ted Cruz or you know, John Kasich or Ben Carson wanted to own social, they just would have had to create a better network of influencers. But Trump is really good at, um, you know, he's developed a base that understands his, his rhetoric, and if somebody attacks that, he just attacks back. Because for the last you know, 50-odd years, we've looked at presidential candidates as, well, they have to be presidential. And what does that mean? That means, well, since 1960 with JFK being on TV and looking presidential and beating Nixon, what you get is somebody who has to kind of be uh, proper, doesn't make mistakes, Mm -hmm. um, you know, looks calm, looks sturdy, all these things, right? Trump is none of those. Mm -hmm. But we've got, one, a political fatigue... Um, that kind of attributes to it. We've got mm-hmm. a a situation where, you know, lack like of a better explanation, we we we've just we're tired of politicians. And thirteen yeah. percent of people approve politicians. So it really doesn't matter what he says to his base because they just think of him as still being more real than the the competition. Mm-hmm.
1: Have you done any work for? For a politician or a campaign ever before, because you seem to know so much about this.
2: I I have done a little bit of consultant work, nothing crazy, but I've I've played in the space and probably want to do more, especially after <laughs> after this cycle. I think I'm going to feel compelled. Um, yeah. But I'm interested in it. I um, mm. I'm actually talking to a couple outlets because I want to start uh, writing almost almost mm. daily on this because I think it's just so interesting and really, really compelling and relative to the social space because the social space, I mean, you even look at 08 with Obama and Blue State Digital, it was relevant. Um, and yeah. yeah, they did great great work, but whatever they did in 08 pales in comparison to what will need to be done to win elections in 2012 or 2016. Mm-hmm. Holy crap, we're in 2016? I know. Yeah. It's yeah. Flying by. Yeah. yeah. Well,
0: and it is it is so relevant to social. and it's the the parallel between um what influencers, what brands need to think about when you're marketing on social is to how politicians operate is is impressive. the The brand trust, the brand affinity that they have to focus on and develop, and that we're seeing fail in terms of a lot of politicians right now is is uh, just hyper relevant.
1: Hey, Jeff, yeah. you want to write a blog post about this?
0: <laughs> I do.
2: <laughs> Lucy always pitching. <laughs> well now, <laughs> I we, love it. now we've we've figured out the next blog post. Send me the uh send me the details this week and I'll get on it. Okay, great. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. We just we just made a deal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a podcast tease, everybody. You can expect that one next week. Mm.
1: So tell me a little about about the, the work you're most proud of um, in your career. <sighs>
2: You know, it's probably the Shorty Award last year, which is a combination of I, I created a really really good tweet chat um, called Bear It All for a couple of years, before I just started seeing kind of tweet chats become a little redundant. And even though I'm I'm, I'm running a really good one right now with the Shorty Awards, I, I just that one kind of ran its life course. Um, I I I like the ability to showcase that I've I can leverage a social platform in a, in a big way and bring people together. I've had yeah. some you know some interesting ad campaigns and 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 stuff that have gone really well but I think the the more interesting thing and the more challenging thing is to uh, to build up a personal brand and uh, bring people on board uh, from scratch and that's uh, that's always the challenge. So the more, the more challenging and more interesting work is when I do stuff myself or if I've worked on Um, a small project for a really small company and created really um, extraordinary results. I mean I like working on everything, don't get me wrong, but that's that's the challenge. It's when you create something from scratch and then all of a sudden you're generating 11 million impressions in an hour. (laughs) Keeping up with that.
1: Does that just (laughs) kind of come from your own sort of well of creativity or what kind of inspires you in the space when you come up with those campaigns?
2: I, I study consumer psychology a lot so I, I, I kind of want to know why you why you would want to share content because at the end of the day content needs to be shareable for it to be well distributed and you know be successful so I, I concentrate on okay what motivators are there for shareable content how can I get that out there um, that's from a content side and then from a from a distribution side, then I'm thinking, okay, well, then how do I get this to the right people at the right time? Uh, timing is a big thing of it, too. Uh, you need to have everything kind of come out around the same time or stagger or, or be, uh, you know, be, you know, cognizant of that so that you create something that, you know, really gets traction. mm mm-hmm.
0: I think that why, the, what you mentioned about uh, why content is being shared and the psychology behind that is something that is, is a great lesson for anybody listening right now and something that we tend to forget to focus on. We're so focused on the what. So what did I publish? How can I replicate that and right. get the exact same results I did or get better results, whatever the case may be, as opposed to uh, focusing on why why people are sharing to begin with, why they're reading what I'm posting, why they're watching that video, why they're watching that Snapchat, and what is keeping them interested, what made them interested in the first place.
2: Because you're not going to create the next ice bucket challenge or the next Oreo moment, um, to use the two most overused (laughs) examples (laughs) ever, on purpose. (laughs) What you're going to do is you're going to look at those and other things, or you're going to look at Damn Daniel and go... Mm. Oh, well, there's Dan, fashion-
1: Daniel. <laughs> Sorry.
2: <laughs> those white vans. But that's <laughs> that's going to be something that you look at and go, "Okay." Instead of me getting, you know, cuz you see some people just get mad at social media for something seemingly innocuous becoming a trend, in all actuality, there's something and some people absolutely behind that who have really good idea how social works, and those are the people I want to talk to. Like a uh, shout out to my friend David Rhodes, who um, you know, when a lot of these things happen, he's one of the people behind these mm. because he understands it. David, uh, for a long time, was uh, working on you know, so like if it if you're if you see it's not Will Ferrell or Sex Facts of Life or other things on social mm-hmm. on Twitter, that's him. So he, oh, he's nice. kind of like the grandfather of of parody accounts, even though we're the same age. <laughs> so I shouldn't have called him a grandfather. Sorry, David. Um, but I mean he's incredibly bright at this kind of stuff. And so then you take these lessons and you then, you know, apply them to big brands like we do and it's it's really compelling.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice. So mm-hmm. I know we've kind of talked a little bit, well, we've talked a lot a bit about this, but um, what do you see as kind of the biggest challenges and opportunities that social marketers face in 2016, the year to come?
2: Well, I mean, we talked about it a little bit with our social and and still it's, it's effectively showcasing that data and how that data makes sense to clients and you know what they value with that data versus what you might think the value of that data is because at the end of the day, it's like I I, I had baseball cards when I was a kid and it would be like, hey, Jeff, your Ken Griffey Jr. card is worth $100. And I'd be like, awesome, but that's only worth $100 if somebody would pay me $100 for it, right? Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing if you say you know, these amount of impressions are worth this, um, it's only worth that if the you know the advertisers and the brands understand the value of that impression. Um, so I think that's important. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, thank that's you the so
0: challenge. much. Yeah, no for problem. For yeah, this, this
2: has been awesome.
0: So if people want to track you down on social, follow you on Twitter, follow you on Instagram, how do they do that?
2: Yeah, Twitter and Snapchat are at Barrettall, B-A-R-R-E-T-T-A-L-L. Instagram is just Jeff Barrett. And um, I think that's it. And you can find me on LinkedIn, too, if, if you want to look up my taken quote. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's pretty good. It's pretty good, guys. Jeff, are yeah. you going to be at South by Southwest?
2: I'm balling it over, which is um, interesting. You should because come. It's pretty soon. Um, yeah, I'm in, I'm in a couple discussions to um, to do some sponsored work, which I think is kind of what I want to do because I I don't know if I I love just taking random trips anymore, and I've been there a couple times, but um, I, if I am there, we're going to have a blast. Oh, yeah. yeah.
0: Lucy's heading down for her first time this year. She is uh, oh, already awesome. planning to be uh, super exhausted and out of the office for the two or three
2: days following that.
1: Yeah.
2: Right, and just overloading on brisket. Yeah, yeah. so much brisket.
1: And tacos.
2: Yeah, they, yeah. there's a huge beef between Austin and San Antonio when it comes to tacos. Read up on it because it's like the East Coast, West Coast rap wars of the early 90s.
0: <laughs> nice. I'm going to have to check this out. This, this sounds serious. Awesome. Anyway, thanks, thanks for joining us, Jeff. Uh, as always, you can find Simply Social uh, on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, uh, just at Simply Measured or Simply Social. Uh, I'm Kevin Says Things on Twitter, Instagram, Everywhere else. And I'm Lucy L. Hips. And we will talk to you guys next week.
2: Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, guys. Talk soon. Bye.
1: Bye.